Hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today I'm joined by one of our favorite returning guests, Vishnu Rajamanakam. He's a transport and logistics journalist and editor of the Logistics Report, which regularly dives into the intricacies of our industry. And today, he's taking on the evolution of e-commerce and consumer trends for freight and beyond. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Vishnu. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny, for the intro. Very happy to be back. We've got a lot to dive into today. I want to start with sort of the trends of how this retail season was uh, shaping out to be. And I know these numbers may change within the next couple of days. But as we record today, um, you know, e-commerce has really been at the forefront of what was a really successful holiday retail season. Numbers show that Black Friday had generated $9.8 in online sales, up 7.5% from last year. And Cyber Monday generated about $12 billion in spend, up 6%. And then Prime Day sales were record highs this year. But when you dig into the actual trends, what do you think has been driving this particular consumer behavior, considering October numbers were fairly conservative? That's a good question. So I think uh, it'll be better for us to uh, zoom out a bit here, Jenny, and start looking at the quarterly trends uh, to understand consumer behavior better. And if you see that, you see the last quarter, Q3, was pretty healthy. And I see that it kind of is staying healthy over Q4 as well, as you can see from the Black Friday and the Cyber Monday sales. Um, but here, I think uh, it's it's better to elucidate with a few indicators. And uh, the first one I'd like to mention is the labor market, right? So I was checking BLS numbers earlier today on the unemployment uh, claims. And uh, we see that the non-seasonally adjusted unemployment claims, it's a pretty long, a long race. <laughs> it has stayed close to the numbers from 2019. Uh, which is the last full year uh, before the pandemic struck, right? So right. the last few years obviously have been a, have been quite skewed with the handouts, but comparing this year with 2019 would give us a better perspective of where we stand today. And uh, something that kind of corroborates with this is the number of unemployed people per job opening. And data again from BLS uh, shows that there's still 1.4 uh, job openings per unemployed person, which is still higher than the 1.25 uh, job openings per un unemployed person that we saw in late 2019, which itself was a record high going back way over a decade since the Great Recession. Um, so there does not seem to be like this any cause for alarm there in terms of consumer demand, uh, in terms of consumer financial security also. Uh, the next metric I would say is consumer debt. Uh, yes, we do see that debt levels have risen and I think it's been in the media or um, over the last month or so, but this is quite in absolute terms, right? But in real terms, it doesn't look so bad as it looks like spread data on um, household expenses as a percent of uh, disposable person, personal income, it reads at 14.2%, which is still lower than the 14.6%, which was recorded in Q120. Um, and if we specifically look at the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales this year, there are a few things that come to mind. Like if you had noticed uh, discounts in offers, kind of went up much earlier and 
ended way later. And yeah. this has been like a recurring theme every year, right? So sellers have been leveraging these occasions to right-size their inventories that were uh, bloated from last year's excesses. And uh, most companies have actually managed to do just that by you know offering larger than usual discounts, um, yeah. which I guess could have also helped uh, power these sales. Yeah, I mean, that that I definitely did notice. And it also takes away from the rush of having to get something quicker. So now you have as a consumer, I think mentally, you you know, you're you're there's less stress on buying so much at one point so that it, it kind of elongates the December, November, uh, Thanksgiving is when those those sales start all the way through Christmas. So I would imagine having more time to get the sales means that you're going to start purchasing more in theory. You know, I, I wanted to know, where do you think most of people are, what are people purchasing, right? Because I read that there were, there was a big focus on sort of self-care items because home repair tools were wildly underperforming. So where do you think the consumer has sort of shifted their attention with, with their purchases? Totally. Um, I don't have specific data on this. I was like searching generally about retail, but I assume that we've seen a lot of uh, fashion and apparel merchandise that have moved over this uh, peak buying season. Uh, mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, like since we come from the fright industry, I guess it's harder for us to kind of appreciate the strong consumer demand, uh, yeah. considering our market is scraping the bottom for quite a while now. So I think it has more to do, again, with the bloated inventories that businesses have accrued over the last year and the year before than about the health of the consumer itself. And obviously, you know, consumer demand is clearly not, you know, as high as the peaks we saw, like the historic highs of 2021 and 2022. But then again, it's kind of, you know, only natural for us to, you know, return to the mean, uh, kind of walk back to the pre-2020 trend line. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there isn't any sort of retail recession. I think it's, a, it's kind of a sign of a healthy market, you know, like people are buying a, a you know, more of fashion merchandise than buying a whole lot of um, home furniture or uh, work from home accessories, right? But yeah. uh, based on the containerized imports into the US that we've been seeing over the last month, which has been climbing, it's kind mm -hmm. of pretty clear that retail consumption in itself is expected to remain strong throughout this quarter. It's not just the sales that happen now. It's probably going to continue over the next uh, over the next couple of weeks. Also, you know, we can expect sales to kind of remain uh, pretty strong over the entire year in sales, even if it's you know not breaking historical records. Interesting. Now, one of the biggest breakout trends in e-commerce today has been the option to buy now, pay later, which is effectively our generation's layaway program. I just want to put that out there because I don't think we talk about it enough. But, you know, $79 million of the sales came from consumers who opted for that buy now, pay later flexible payment to stretch their wallets up 47% from last year. But this also uncovers something really interesting. Consumers, much to your, your debt uh, stat there, don't have the money to spend on the items that they covet. So do you think this has more to do with conservative budgeting or the option to buy more and consume more? Yeah, again, I would go back to data here, right? So if you yeah. look at uh, personal interest payment data, it's better to understand this trend. So I think an average 
U.S. consumer kind of heavily relies on their credit lines. I think the U.S. is kind of very famous for that. Uh, and if you check the Fred data on this, you would see that personal interest payments are going to the moon since the pandemic and does not seem like there's anyone applying any breaks on it just yet. So based on our earlier discussion around this uh, household expenses and uh, personal disposable income, um, we do know that this isn't a cause for alarm, right? So putting two and two together, you can kind of see that the flexible payment method could be one of the many reasons for you know interest payments to climb higher. Now, um, the $79 million that you just mentioned is not exactly an amount that could, you know, create substantial ripples uh, in the retail economy, but I guess it can help us um, kind of fish for a payments trend, right? So um, yeah. to answer your question, I don't think that this has to do with, uh, you know, anything like conservative budgets, uh, mm. but I think it's just that people really do have the bandwidth to spend, but since they can get stuff on credit, they're probably opting to go for it anyway. Now, effectively, some buy now, pay later options like Affirm and Afterpay have raised their minimum costs to use those program purchases to about $50 uh, minimum, I, I've seen, or, or even $49.99, which I think is kind of wild. But do you think we'll see more of these options pop up with less premiums for buyers? I think at the end of the day, retailers uh, want to get a bigger chunk of their consumers' wallets, right? So buy now, pay later options are just another way to kind of encourage these uh, consumers to buy stuff without uh, thinking too much about how much it costs, right? So different businesses set different premiums, and I think uh, $50 is just as arbitrary as let's say $30 or $100. Now I can give you an example from India, right? So mm -hmm. um, in India, e-commerce retailers have the system called pay on delivery, uh, which is where you can just order a product off a site and pay for it after it reaches your doorstep. And you don't need to pay anything right at the start, right? So this payment method actually cropped up guess about a decade back when uh, digital payments were not a thing and they were kind of looked at uh, with suspicion by an average yeah. consumer in India. Uh, so they were not very sure of paying online because they thought they would be robbed, right? I mean, it's crazy mm -hmm. to think of it this way right now, but that was kind of the opinion back then. So businesses realized that to make them buy online, they'd have to go through this traditional way of paying, which is to get money after the product is delivered. And Today, India has an excellent digital payment uh, infrastructure, but pay on delivery is still a very popular way of uh, payment and buying uh, in the country. So while we don't have such a pay on delivery payment system in North America or in Europe, uh, buy now, pay later is just a shrewd way of uh, you know pushing customers to buy more uh, without uh, thinking too much of the product cost. Like if businesses feel customers would buy more uh, if the premiums went down, you'd definitely see such options uh, pop up in the near future. Yeah, the psychology of it is interesting because for something that costs, I don't know, $250 that I would normally, just personally speaking, would never purchase in bulk like that, $75 every week doesn't sound so bad. Exactly. So it just, right? So you're you're like, all right, well, it doesn't hurt my wallet. And then, and then that, you know, inevitably means that I'm going to continue adding on those purchases throughout the month. And I'm telling a little too much about my purchasing uh, habits, bad habits. But anyway, um, you know, 
what I want to, I want to move into this conversation of social commerce, because I think it's such a fascinating conversation and it's really become the keystone of why Americans rang up $12.4 billion, billion dollars worth of online purchases, according to Axios with apps like LTK, which I believe is the acronym for like to know it. And then TikTok uh, and Instagram creating their own online shops as well, making it even easier for millennials and Gen Zers to buy what they want in three taps or less. Tell me about the growth factor here. Why has it become such an important part of retail sales? Okay, now I'm super excited about social commerce, right, Jenny? Like, I think um, if you go back to the roots, like at the forefront of uh, social commerce is China. Like, the country has surged ahead in e-commerce sales as a part of total retail sales, where yeah. uh, you see over one third of all purchases are are online compared to around, I think, 15% in the US. Um, so one of the reasons e-commerce is so sticky uh, in China is because of social commerce. Like Chinese retailers have uh, been working with uh, social media influencers across platforms like WeChat and TikTok for um, selling many of their product lines. And um, this is something that's, um, you know, like one of the things very notable about social commerce is that is the way the entire uh, commerce experience is structured, uh, because it's not just about the product specifications or uh, customer reviews, but it's something that kind of uh, marries uh, buying decisions with an assorted mix of um, social endorsements and peer approval, right? So yeah. I think this this is like one of the reasons that uh, TikTok is, you know, growing its e-commerce footprint uh, so quickly. And it's kind of even threatening the likes of uh, Amazon. Um, mm. You know, this, this has to do with uh, how TikTok kind of embeds uh, commerce functionalities with its social media experience. Uh, think of it this way, like how many hours do you spend uh, browsing through Amazon a week versus, let's say, Instagram or TikTok? I'm, I'm just assuming that there are more hours in the latter, right? Yeah. <laughs> so social media is just a lot more engaging platform. And considering they capture cookies and caches on your browser, these platforms know exactly what your likes and dislikes are and can direct you to products that uh, you probably would like, right? So mm -hmm. recommendations as such work uh, far better on social media platforms than on pure play e-commerce sites like Amazon. Like think of yourself watching an Instagram reel or TikTok reel on um, chicken fried rice, right? And yeah. you want to make some at home. Uh, maybe you don't have the right uh, sweet soy sauce that you know goes with that dish. And then as you're scrolling, you see TikTok coming up with this ad for uh, the exact soy sauce that you're looking for. And there's a high chance that you'll buy it, right? So mm -hmm. that's the power of social commerce. It can make you buy stuff uh, without making you think twice about buying that stuff. Yeah. And also for the apprehensive consumer, if you are not thinking about purchasing it right now, you'll get reminded a few days later, a few hours later, hey, you left something in your cart. And then that's when you're like, you know what, I'll just buy it. Or, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I was trying to buy some Allbirds. In fact, I wasn't even thinking of it. I was just looking at it passively, the their Instagram page. And then I've been bombarded with ads from Allbirds like the entire two weeks now. So I don't know when they'll stop. 
<laughs> but then probably when I actually buy stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just relentlessly kind of, you know, remi- reminding you that there's something there. And every time you're on the platform, they're going to push ads and they're not probably going to stop till you buy something. So, yeah. Yeah. Or it, it also gives you, the, gives you the option to say, is this interesting to you or something like that? So you have to put the work in to remove it, which most of us don't do. As it relates exactly. to we're, we're lazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know I am. I'm I'm just gonna leave it on. But <laughs> um, you know, as it relates to trucking for the holidays, um, while retailers have right size right size their inventory levels since we last spoke, I think it was uh, you know, either at the very beginning of the year when all of that um inventory levels were kind of all over the place. Do you think they've accounted for inventory that is needed sort of in order to meet the needs of the younger? customer just because full truckload volumes aren't seeing that big uptick but i would imagine ltl and parcel have spiked yeah um i assume that this is kind of an extension of the social commerce question right as it involves younger customers um so i would say it's extremely hard for companies uh currently to do demand forecasting uh especially since social commerce can be notorious for viral trends right they just spike demand for a specific product for like a week or a month only to fall flat immediately after that so retail in a sense is a high volume low margin business uh which means that they deal with a ton of skus and Traditional commerce where people go to uh, physical retail outlets are a bit easier to manage uh, as these products move in crates and in bulk and are uh, just easier to move in store. Uh, But e-commerce and social commerce, they just make it a lot harder um, as you have to stock more SKUs and uh, and a lot more variants and you have to deliver them separately and probably just a few units at a time, right? So it's... A lot more harder and and if you look at packaging that's a whole different and a big issue in itself like right. when people buy stuff online versus when they buy it in a store the packaging involved is vastly different um Absolutely. e-commerce consumes um i think around three times or more uh packaging uh, and warehousing space also on average when compared to physical retail uh and i think in essence it's hard for uh, retailers to plan and stock for e-commerce based demand as it just you know simply takes them more space to stock the same amount of goods uh, that they would have um, previously moved via physical retail and the idea of viral online trends just makes it incredibly challenging you know to keep products on stock as these trends play out um, while I don't think this directly relates to the FTO versus the LTO equation. I'm sure it's impacting LTL and specifically parcel uh, mm-hmm. in the downstream retail logistics operations as, you know, c- companies have to use more parcel and maybe uh, LTL also to move retail goods in the mid mile and the last mile side of things. How do you think this will affect sustainability? Just because I, you know, you mentioned packaging and for something that could be this tiny 60, you know, milliliter bottle gets shipped in this huge package. And that's just one example. It constantly happens. And we're also seeing more consumers post about it. So how do you think this will affect sustainable efforts that these retailers are putting forth in the long run? To be honest, Jenny, I think it's going to be a huge problem uh, because, I mean, 
just consider i mean i consider myself to be trying to not you know to reduce my carbon footprint but then i do order from amazon and i see it just pains me when i see the amount of packaging that they put in or just a small product right and also if you're just ordering on um this um amazon um fresh right so if you yeah. order on amazon fresh you're probably going to have like five six different um you know covers for like five six different products like they have one cover for frozen products one which goes into the refrigerator one which uh, is like you know like um delicate stuff let's say like eggs go into a separate cover so they have so many covers like if you go directly to the store you're probably going to carry your own bag mm-hmm. and there's none of this packaging is involved there so it just means that sustainability goes for a toss when you're thinking of you know buying on e-commerce or buying online and that's like um something that you can't avoid right if you're buying online and that's also probably why amazon also i think um in europe they have this option not for all the products but on some products where they say that hey even if you're an amazon prime customer they're going to say if you wait a couple of days longer we're going to send you back $1.80 because we'll be consolidating these packages with some other stuff. And even though you get it a day late, it'll actually help us stay more, you know, carbon friendly or something. So again, to answer your question, sustainability is, is, is something that's kind of incompatible when you think of e-commerce. Like the best yeah. case scenario is for all of us to go directly to the store and to pick it up. Right. But I think we would need to be incentivized as a generation to to be able to do it, which is really unfortunate because it means it would mean reducing your carbon footprint and you know helping the environment. But it's interesting how those, you know, two years ago, we were all we were talking about was sustainable efforts and the conscious, conscious consumer. And then you have this rise of social commerce, which, like you said, is it just feels like a magnet, you know, two magnets of the same side repelling against each other. Um, Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that changes over the next couple of years. Speaking of which, I am super curious because I know you're excited about this topic, but what are some trends that you think will continue on or perhaps pop up in the retail space for 2024? Totally. Uh, I think, well, again, just coming back to social commerce, right? I think it is something that's just building up. There's, it's nowhere near the end. We're just at the probably the beginning of the end. So I think it's going to be truly game-changing in the retail yeah. spaces, you know, that's going to play out throughout 2024 and probably beyond that. So um, one thing I feel that is, which is a certain certainty, right? Like that people continue to spend more time uh, scrolling through their social media feeds. And mm-hmm. this is a trend that shows no signs of slowing down. I mean, platforms can change, like probably you're using, you were using Facebook before, you're using Instagram more if you were like me, and you're probably using TikTok more after that. And probably some of the platform would come and take its place, but then people are spending more time online than they have ever done before. And this is a trend that's going to continue, right? So platforms like uh, TikTok or Instagram just have so much sway over people and their choices. And these companies have, you know, their algorithms are being perfected over time to, you know, recommend better and better products, which ultimately will result in more purchases, right? So I think one interesting thing about social commerce is 
these platforms continue to evolve with the users, right? Like the recommendation engines are adaptive. Like it can recommend different products at different stages of a person's life. It can recommend you uh, hiking boots if it catches you uh, looking at hiking trails nearby. Uh, it can right. suggest baby clothes if they know that um, you've had a baby. Um, and I think I have this personal anecdote, which is super scary for me. Like once I had, I was recommended this special toothpaste and I don't have any dental issues. And then I was like wondering, why is this happening, right? Like there must be something, probably there's a glitch in the system. And then I realized that my mom had a dental appointment. And I guess the engine realized that our phones were in close proximity. It kind of records our signals, right? And then that we were living in the same house and it started recommending me stuff with the hope that I would buy it, probably thinking I would buy it for my mom, right? It's it's a bit scary how things are getting too cross-functional. Yeah. And, but I think it only shows how good these engines have gotten, right? So I think also the talking of AI, like AI is just going to add uh, an extra layer of sophistication to this. Like mm -hmm. think of open AI level AI technology in Alexa or Siri. Like we already know that, you know, if we are using a smartphone, uh, we are probably going to have Siri or if we have Alexa, we have Alexa. So these things are with us. They're in our homes. They're listening to us. They're listening to our private conversations. Even if you're not talking to them directly, they're still listening to us, right? So they have a wealth of information and we might have let slip certain stuff, which probably we don't even remember. And they remember it's all data. They record everything and they put everything together, try real, uh, kind of understanding the patterns behind it and start recommending stuff, which probably is in our subconscious we don't even think of such a product or you know we, we just don't think of buying such a product but then when it comes on the screen we are probably tempted to buy it and mm -hmm. this can be a game changer and i guess the days aren't really far away where we're gonna see uh, ai clubbed with uh, social commerce and you know these platforms just leveraging intelligent technology to just make sure that we keep buying more and more stuff that is the scariest thing that I think I've heard in a long time. You know, just to get, I just want to go one step further because I feel, you know, I don't know what the headsets are called. I think it's it's part of the meta family, but the VR headsets that were sort of all over the place for a little bit and 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 are evolving over time. But, you know, we were talking before the show and I could easily see a world where you'd be able to see something right in front of you in your home and be able to just with a tap of a or a swipe or whatever the gesture is, it suddenly appears within hours in your doorstep, which makes it, I think, even the, ex the accessibility to having everything that you want at your fingertips is getting out of hand. <laughs> I don't know what other way to put it, but it just I guess it does mean that inevitably where we'll start to see these consumer trends will be in the positive and it'll benefit retailers, you know, and grocers and the cold chain as well. Because like you mentioned, the the recipe, I'm sure after this conversation, I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll have a, a chicken fried rice recipe on my on my feed. And then you'll be able to purchase that special soy sauce really quickly. But the question that I have for you and all of that is, do you see this being great for FTL in the long run? Because I think that's essentially what we would hope. But I know that it's going to affect LTL and Parcel positively in the long run. Where do you think the full truckload space will live? Yeah. So again, Jenny, I wouldn't say this is 
anything with e-commerce or commerce in in a sense is directly relatable to the FTL space. But retail going the e-commerce way is, um, you know, for sure going to impact the parcel segment, especially mm-hmm. the last mile, right? Like, um, for instance, fulfillment centers, they are moving closer to areas with denser populations. And we have to, or rather the businesses have to ensure that they deliver in quick time. And nearly all of these orders move on last mile parcel vans. But again, FTO as a segment, uh, it will continue to stay solid, you know, considering a bulk of containerized cargo moving into the US is moving through FTO. And uh, most of the major businesses, like any business that's probably 1 billion plus is probably going to move their goods on FTO as well. And I wouldn't say FTL as a segment will shrink again, mm. but then I would say that it probably would diversify over time, just like any other space, right? Like I think diversification is for sure going to happen. But then if you're asking me uh, if FTL as a segment in itself would have a big impact, I would rather say it it wouldn't. Okay. I got, we will, we'll, we'll know in the next year or so, I guess. <laughs> totally. um, Vishnu, this has been such a riveting conversation. I especially love hearing about social commerce. So you'll have to come back in the next, I mean, in the next couple of months so we can see where the trends have ended up, especially uh, heading out of retail season. You can read more from Vishnu by visiting the logisticsreport.com or you can follow him on LinkedIn where he regularly posts his work uh, for you to consume. And I highly recommend that you do. But Vishnu, you also have a podcast where you have to tell oh, us yeah. about where we can hear that. <laughs> Thanks for mentioning that, Jenny. So I recently uh, started a podcast. It's called the In Transit Podcast, which again, is a part of the logistics report. And it also is featured on the Supply Chain Management Review. Uh, where, yeah, I am the host of the In Transit. So the podcast is uh, relays on both the different platforms. Vishnu, you have to come back. Thank you so much as always. And again, go to thelogisticsreport.com to read and also listen to Vishnu um, because there's going to be quite a lot to keep in touch with, especially as we head into an election year. But that is a different conversation for a different day. Thank you so much, Vishnu. Thanks a lot, Jenny. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.